if we were to make a drinking game out of this podcast. Bitch, I'm already one drinking game right now. Not for us, for the listeners. Okay. What would be the things that they would have to drink at? What are the things they have to drink at? Yeah. So, like, if someone was listening to our show and waiting for specific things, Uh like, drink every time you hear the intro riff. Ah. Um... I think it would have to be the times I say anyway. Anyway. I think it would also have to be the times that me and you both just start laughing hysterically. Okay. And then probably the times where one I screw up a word. That's a good one. That's a good one. What, what are your suggestions? Uh, anytime I say I'll link it in the show notes and don't. <laughs> Because I always is forget. that what you've been doing? I don't know. I don't keep track. I always mention stuff and then I never link it. If in these episodes, I do in the interviews, but like yeah, this episode won't get put up for another month. I'm not gonna remember what I said in there that I was gonna link. <laughs> I usually just throw some videos in there. Anytime we put something in our outline, it doesn't make sense. Yes, <laughs> yes, very much so. We're on my like, part. why do we put that there? Um, and anytime I don't have the outro notes pulled up, <laughs> we gotta now, find them. Those last two, you all don't hear it as much because those spots get edited out mm. a lot of times. But trust me, they are there. They're there. Maybe we'll put a little ding when it happens, just so you know Take it's time to drink. One of those two happened. Take a drink. Yes. In the words of my husband playing Kings, drink, bitch. Drink, bitch. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I'm Leah. <laughs> I'm Leah. I'm Bethan. And this is Shiorakio. Where are they getting a dub in a CBS executive meeting? No. Bitch, don't touch my thermostat. <laughs> the ghost be like, pull up before I haunt you. Let me turn down the thermostat. <laughs> this is bad. We're on page one, guys. <laughs> this is Shiorakio. We brought out the hard liquor tonight, y'all. Folks, today is what? February 24th, 2022. So you're going to look back on this date and you're going to be like, what the hell happened in the world? Well, just Google it. Y- you should know by now because it's probably unfortunately still going to be going on. But I do have to say, because I feel like it's the right thing to do. Our hearts do go out to the people of Ukraine. This is. I actually woke up at midnight yesterday and well, today. Thanks to Rody. And that was the first thing I saw on my phone. It just happened. Damn. And so, like, you know, it it is such an insane situation. And my heart really, really goes out to the people. Hence why we're also drinking. Because life just is so fucking hard. Because <laughs> there's Ukraine. There's, there's Texas. There's, there's Texas. All kinds we of We drink for many reasons bullshittery. on this podcast happening so yeah we pulled out some vodka from poland yes it's not russian vodka we would we not drink sure. russian vodka on today of all days <laughs> and some lemonade i grabbed from work that it's we from drinking. panera it's bougie lemonade it's agave lemonade it's really good so it's healthier that, sure. that's just what i'm gonna tell myself yeah and this is my second glass so TBD on this <laughs> on how this outline goes. These next two episodes, you're gonna get drunk, Leah and Beth Ann. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna lie. I have maybe like a quarter left in this like pint glass, and I'm about to down it. <laughs> on three, two, chug, 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 chug. Okay. <laughs> so 
Well, that's going to hit in about five or ten minutes. Halfway through your outline, you're going to be like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But we did want to talk about Ukraine and our hearts are really yes. with all those people. And I get to segue off of that. And I have no good segue. Other that's than okay. uh, leave us a review. We would appreciate it. Yes. We're going to keep bothering you. Sometimes I forget to bother you. So this is me bothering you. If you've not left us a review. No, you never forget to bother them. <laughs> <laughs> I think you I, know why. Because you're a good marketer. Uh, thank you. Uh, we're going to escape reality here for the next, Yes. I don't know, 40 minutes, however long this takes. So what are we talking about today? Some pretentious motherfuckers from what Some I hear. pretentious <laughs> motherfuckers named The Cure. Um, let me grab my outline. <laughs> one more I didn't inch. want to move the mic. One more inch. Though you will not hear this on the podcast because I'll have edited them out. Um, my mic's a little bit loose, so it's having some some moments right now. Anyway. All right. God damn it. You know, why did <laughs> I write it this way? <laughs> what did you write? I said it's sad boy time. Uh, it is sad boy time. It really is sad boy time. This was supposed to be a happy slash sad slash comical outline. We'll see if I get there. <laughs> anyway, it's sad boy time. Everyone grab your non-waterproof eyeliner, your favorite VHS copy of any Tim Burton film, <laughs> and cuddle up next to the vinyl record you are streaming this episode through via Bluetooth. <laughs> we are talking about The Cure. Now, I'm going to be honest. I am not a diehard Cure fan. And when Leah was talking about the pretentious motherfuckers, I don't think it's really the band. Well, maybe a little bit. It's a little bit of the fans. I hate to say it, guys. I'm probably going to piss you off slightly because, like I said, I'm not a diehard Cure fan. Meaning, I not love the band, but I certainly do not hate them. But, I'm sure I'm going to say something that's going to piss you off because I might, you know, throw in a joke for comedic flair, as I do. Please don't come at us like you did with a clash. Yeah, please, please don't chew, please don't chew me out. But, you know, so if you're going to be triggered by that, if you are a diehard Cure fan, you already have your smudged red lipstick on with the black eyes and you thought this is my moment to turn off all the lights with one candle lighting the way. Um I just don't recommend you staying for this episode. Just, just go find another podcast. I don't hate them. They're they're fine. They're there. But I'm probably just going to have some random jokes that are going to piss you off. Um, other than that, uh, this episode is going to be also a little bit different. Because one, I'm not going to cover all the albums. There's a lot of albums with this band. You guys kind of know the drill. And then there's also a lot of like band changes. I'm really not going to talk it's a lot about them. Not worth talking. It, it really isn't. Um, so those are not going to be as much in there. And then I lost my spot. <laughs> I'm just laughing because the vodka just hit me all of a sudden. <laughs> there's a moment where you know the vodka hit and you're like, wow. It's like Ooh. everything zooms. It's, like, it's watch. It's like a cat's eye dilating. You're yes. just like. Yes. Anyway, um, and then on top of that, this band's a little bit different because they kind of like shift genres in a very kind of bigger way than I've found the other bands do. So I'm going to be focusing a little bit more on those genre shifts rather than like 
the actual like mm. normal outline format I follow. Um, but other than that, um, I do have to put some trigger warnings on this because we're going to talk a little bit about suicide. So just be aware. But other than that, let's get into the shit. I'm mainly going to talk about one member of this band plus one other um, in this band beginning segment. And that's arguably the showrunner, Robert Smith. So Robert- What an anti-punk name. It's not his fault. He could have changed it. He grew up in England. He could have changed it. He could have, but, you know, it also is punk of him not to change it to something. Robert Smith. He What's he going to change it to? Rocker Smith? Yeah. No. That's very anti-punk of him. Anyway, uh, Robert Smith was born April 21st, 1951 in Blackpool, England. He came from a musical family. So him and his sister both took piano lessons at a young age. She ended up being a piano prodigy. Okay. And Robert said, like, she could have been pretty big, but she was really shy, like, more shy than him. And he's very shy. Very, very shy in interviews. Um, so what does he do? Like, every good brother, he picks up a guitar instead because, quote, she couldn't get her fingers around the neck and therefore would not be able to play it. Hey. <laughs> what other brother? Like, that's a sheer brother move. That is a brother move. So he first started by like his brother teaching him how to play some chords then he got some formal classical guitar lessons at age nine he didn't stick with it because his guitar his guitar tutor said quote was horrified (laughs) by his play because it was bad i don't know wikipedia didn't what's the word expound oh on it poor kid He's he's just like, dear God, these are sad chords. That'll hurt your... Sad, uh, sad bar chords. Hit your ego at however old he is, 10? Nine, nine. Nine, yeah. But as he got older, he would just listen to records, play by ear. Um, he also, when he was in school, he would like to push boundaries. So, like I said, he, he really is, has a quiet, you know, I would argue shy disposition about him, but he's also this dark creative type, right? But he also has this like normal side to him, which we'll talk about more. But this really, this dark creator type, you know, it's what, 1960s he's growing up, led to some like ridicule by classmates. But he was smarter <laughs> than I think everyone in the room because he knew how to work the system. So he said he figured out ways to do the bare minimum in school to pass so he could do nothing for three years. I mean, I don't blame him. Hey, work smarter, not harder. And then he went to a free thinking, quote, free thinking middle school. And he said, let's test that and more address one day. The kids of that school did not tolerate that. I'm sure they did not. Um, He also was kicked out of a school once due to being a, quote, undesirable influence (laughs) after one of his earlier bands caused a riot at the school. Good for them. Hey, I I love a good high school riot. Mm Um, one time my high school got into a riot over an iPod shuffle color. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, iPod nano color. Sorry. Uh, just 2000s things. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, anyway, the whole school had to go on lockdown. Uh, also, he grew up Catholic and became an atheist. Didn't see that coming. Mm. Didn't see that coming. The direct Catholic to atheism pipeline. Yes. Yes. Um, but what I do love is at how at young age he like challenged the system just to do it. Like that that is pretty cool. And that's very punk of him. Um 
I also have like nowhere to put this, but it must be said, so it's going here. So I'm going to jump forward. When he marries his wife, her name's Mary Poole, and they're high school sweethearts. It's really cute. You're going to love this. Okay. You are going to love this. I got to throw this line out from Wiki because both of them decided not to have kids. Smith said he was against having children as he not only objects to having been born, (laughs) but refuses to impose life on another. I feel this. (laughs) Same, Robert. Same. You know. On days like today, <laughs> I, didn't ask I, to be I, here. I too object to being born. <laughs> I didn't ask for this. <laughs> this dude was like a pioneer to the <laughs> millennial generation before our time. No wonder. Before our time. No wonder you called them beta MCR. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, drink. Um, let's give. Uh, let's back up a little bit back to his primary school days, and we're gonna bring in another gentleman, another bloke, if you will. That was the word old today, by the way, in case you're wondering. Um, (laughs) Spoilers. There's another founding member I want to throw into the mix. His name is Lawrence Andrew Tolhurst. Sorry. He was born in Surrey, England on February 3rd, 1959, which, fun fact, the same day Buddy Holly died in the plane crash. In a series of unfortunate events, he goes by the nickname LOL, as in LOL. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> like, I just don't know how he scooted this far without millennials finding out. <laughs> We're gonna make this known. That's a graphic. You have to make that into a graphic. I can picture. I'm now. sorry. We found out the little text bubble. It just says LOL. <laughs> Every, I'm telling you, the whole time I was doing research, every time in my head. I just heard, lol, lol, <laughs> lol. <laughs> anyway, in his book, Cured, Two Imaginary Boys. Yes, I read a book. Well, a preview on Goodreads. <laughs> um, I'm very proud of myself. Close enough. Close enough. Anyway, lol, uh, I'm going to crack lol. up every time I say that. Lol says he and Robert were the first punks in Crawley, which is part of Surrey, England. It's like 20 miles, I think, south of mm. London. In his book, he says that Crawley was a dreary place, a fact that was confirmed by a TikTok I randomly saw on my FYP right before doing this research, like five minutes before I texted Leah. It was the site. I was very excited. Anyway. Isn't all of England a dreary place? (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is the dreariest of dreariest (laughs) place to live. Anyway. All they had to look forward to, it sounded were like punk records and punk shows that would make their way to Crawley. So growing up, they both uh, saw bands like The Clash and The Stranglers and like studied their attitude and look. They said they were going to copy it. Um, I also have to give a shout out because um, it kind of makes sense that they formed their sound. They also like loved Jimi Hendrix. Like they formed a bond over Jimi Hendrix. When he they was first big met. in England. He was big and David Bowie as well. That makes sense. So it kind of makes sense how they're forming punk. The man wore a dress to school. It makes sense he yeah, like David it, Bowie. It makes sense. But I have to demonstrate what this attitude looked like. To no surprise, they were social outcasts. And in Lowell's book, he says he calls the kids around that town, quote, Neanderthal-like. 
That's an insult right there. This book was so fun to read. I almost wanted to actually buy it. You should buy it. Um, and said, quote, when I was told an earring in my right ear was the equivalent of declaring to the world that I was gay. Okay. Which I wasn't. I, you're, that was a thing. That was the a thing. longest time. Right. Right. And I, I thought about that randomly the other day because I was like, I haven't heard anyone mention that in like years. 10 right? years. So he says, which I wasn't. I had pierced it twice. <laughs> the time for being polite was over. <laughs> God, I love this man. I don't Lol. love the love this bit. I love the beginning of this bit. Lol. Lol. Uh, so as they grew up in this teenage wasteland of sorts. We're amending the drinking game. Anytime we say lol, like, you gotta drink. You gotta drink. Play along play along with us, you desolate souls. <laughs> <laughs> so they first started a band called Obelisk, which makes sense for that. That's a great band name. It is a good band name. They should have kept it. They should have. Um, and it featured Michael McDempsey, who will become important later. Um, then Robert broke off, joined a band called Malice. Also a pretty good band pretty name. Pretty good band name. Um, that also featured Dempsey. This was the band that was the site of the riot. Ah. Then Smith, Tolhurst, Dempsey, and <laughs> my outline says fried Poral Thompson. I'm sorry, that's very <laughs> funny to my vodka self. And then Poral Thompson would go on to form a name called Easy Cure which is based off this song that Lull wrote. And that morphed into The Cure. Their first show was at a pub they frequented, which, according to Lull, was filled with burned-out hippies, skinheads, and then them. That's a crowd. Yeah, quite a crowd. But that stage would lead them to playing more shows, eventually winning a talent competition, and getting signed by a small German label. Um, But nothing was released in those days, so the contract just kind of ended but it wasn't too long till they recorded a demo and landed in the hands of a record scout and they would get signed to fiction records which they would stay with for a pretty long time so now i like to mention their careers take different turns and whatnot so this is the beginning of the goth rock era their first album three imaginary boys was released in on may 8th 1979 the band didn't have like a say on the cover or what songs are in the album. And that, I mean, they're punks that pretty pissed them off. And Robert like would go on to have like creative control moving forward, which is going to cause some problems for the band mm. moving forward as well. But the album did well critically, but it was kind of like a drop in the pan as far as for commercial. Um, they also would go to release that album later on in the U S under a different name slash cover. And that album was called Boys Don't Cry. But it's their next album where things really start getting, uh, beginning to roll. That album is called 17 Seconds. And that is released April 22nd, 1980. Like most up-and-coming artists of that time, they had a limited budget to both record and limited time. So the whole album was done like start to finish in seven days. And it was $2,000. It resulted in 16 to 17 hour work days. They also, um, as far as for pushing their times and resources, they have a track called The Final Sound, and it actually had to be cut short because they ran out of tape, <laughs> which is a weird problem. That's, that's funny. It's funny. It's a problem that we don't have a quite no, an understanding of anymore. That's so funny. Um, but this album is a prototype for what would become goth rock. 
um, which these boys are spearheading. Like when you look at goth rock, I, I would argue they are the founding fathers of it. Um, so here's how they're kind of creating that sound. Like we were saying, they're incorporating their punk influences slash attitudes, their love of David Bowie and getting that synth in there. Um, along with Robert's deep and emotive lyrics. Mm. An early example of this goth rock where you kind of see it is their song, A Forest, which was their first hit. It reached number 31 on the UK singles charts. Um, first off, it sounds like it was recorded on Nintendo 64. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I don't mean to... I know it was recorded a while ago. I know they only had $2,000. It still sounds like a Nintendo 64. <laughs> Why haven't the remaster team come in and fixed it to sound like it was recorded on a GameCube? I do not understand. <laughs> But, you know, can't judge them that hard. But lyrically, it's all about being lured into a forest and never escaping, philosophically speaking. So it's Hotel California before Hotel California. Yes, correct. Okay. It is an, a less pleasant version <laughs> of Hotel California. Yeah, there's they're scary shit in the forest. Yeah, theirs is like, you know that one random Russian TikTok song that comes on that goes, Yes. Yeah. That's what it kind of sounds like. That's what it reminded me of. Anyway, then they had another album called Faith. I'm going to kind of skip over it, but here's a cliff note about the album from Wiki. Quote, the album saw the band continuing in the gloomy vein. That's it. You're caught up. Okay, cool. (laughs) Move along. I mean, it did chart number 14 UK, but there's really, I don't really have much to say about the album. Um, But I did want to move on to a pinnacle album. It's one of two, I would say. Um, so as the band is progressing into their career, their music it really becomes more encompassing. So like they're really getting into it in the sense of, you know, that's not an issue, but when you're doing really emotional songs, it can take a toll on you, especially when like, you know, writing one or two emotional songs, you know, that's very common practice, but all of your music is emotional for like, but at this point, albums like- and albums and end hundreds of songs and probably written right right because there's stuff that's not even making. yeah so for example there's a song um it's a non-album release it's called charlotte sometimes and some after robert would perform it he would like be in tears at the end of it because that persona according to wiki would just kind of take over him damn um so the band's kind of just in a funk and you know r- uh, shit. I shouldn't have put that there. Drink. <laughs> I'm gonna leave that one in. <laughs> you guys can see what we do. Um, but but like I said, I'm gonna put my I'm gonna put a little bit of a hot hot take hat on. That was very hot hard to alarm. say. Hot take alarm. Um, so like we were saying, emotional music is not a bad thing. You gotta it balance it though. Exactly. You got to take time for yourself and decompress. And that's something even I had to learn. And it's just music is such a powerful, powerful tool. And even science can like attest to it. Like it can really stir your mental state. So please make sure that you're taking time for yourself, making sure you're okay. Anyway, hot take hat off. Random science fact, because this was yes. a good time to insert it. I read a thing, a study that they did where there's this phenomenon where if you're with a group of people like like that are doing a similar thing your brain mm-hmm. waves actually sync up 
Yeah. And they really expected it to happen most like strongly with athletes, like team athletes. Uh huh. They didn't even register on the scale they were using. Where it occurred the most was at live music concerts. Yeah. Because it re- releases dopamine. Yeah. And everyone was like on this, like literally on the same wavelength and everyone's brainwaves synced up and like. Yeah. They can't explain it. It almost creates cool. like a high like state. Yeah. It's really crazy. It's a hive mind. It's super freaking weird. Yeah. It is really super cool. weird. Anyway. But it is really cool. But imagine like putting that in an emotional state and being in that the entire yeah. time. So make sure you take time for yourself. It's okay to decompress. All the cure are now sad boys. Yes. Because of this music. Correct. Correct. Anyway. um, So this last album. It's not the last album. But it's the last album of their first goth rock era which is and i looked this up this is a thing it's called the oppressively dispirited trio like that is some british emo shit (laughs) (laughs) it is (laughs) it's not just like it's you know it's not simple down for my dumb american brain oppressively dispirited trio it's fancy goth it's proper goth proper goth proper goth anyway I have to read this from their bio, speaking of which, from their own website, which that's where I text you. These are some pretentious motherfuckers. <laughs> that was the first thing I read. And this is not the band's fault. I have to say. They hired someone to write this. They hire someone to write it. And the, and they just get carried away to where it really became pretentious. Two cents. For all we know, Robert wrote this himself, though. It, this is true. <laughs> this is very true. Um, But I have to read this whopper of a sentence. It says, quote, in 1982, The Cure went back into the studio and their increasingly ugly fascination with despair and decay culminated in the unrelenting sonic attack of the pornography album. Like, I feel like I just took an SAT test. That was so many words. It was too many big fucking words. <laughs> and I'm a little drunk right now, so we did not Exactly. Register. I I hope I, I feel like I artic- articulated that well. But, like, I feel like I'm going to go back and it's all going to be slurred. Anyway. No, I understood it. Oh, well, that's good. That's a rarity. <laughs> I can't remember what you said. Maybe I need to drink more. I understood more. it. <laughs> so, anyway. In fact, in 2006, according to an explainer video I watched from a YouTube channel called Trash Theory. What Robert, a great YouTube name. It's a fantastic name. Uh, Robert Smith said, when we came to do pornography, I really thought that... <laughs> Okay, that is a funny sentence. (laughs) I really thought that this was it for the group. I wanted to make the ultimate fuck off record and the cure would stop. (laughs) It really is funnier when you say it, isn't it? Yes, it is. (laughs) Um, Basically, this was his like opportunity to get it all out. Yeah, I got to get to the trigger warning. I have to get to the point where I put the trigger warning in, Leah. Thank you. Calm it down. I got to get serious for a second. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> you know, fuck it. No trigger warning. I'm not going to talk about it. Fuck it. We're doing it live. Um, please listen to Ethan Simi on 15 Minutes Marvel. Anyway. Um, so he's, he's just got to get it out. He's got to get it out or he doesn't know what he's going to do. But yeah, this album was like his opportunity to pour everything in. And then the band would just break up. Um, <laughs> goodbye. Si- what? I said goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Why is that so funny? 
The band is also doing a lot of drugs at this time, eh. which, you know, never helps anything. No. And um, also the band hates each other, mainly Robert Smith, because and as he admitted, he was obnoxious and self-centered. <laughs> that'll do it. That, that'll <laughs> do it. <laughs> so how do you think a 1982 audience it's going to take an album named Pornography. <laughs> Not great. Correct. The <laughs> critics hate it. Um, but the audience really likes it. And it reaches number eight in the UK charts, which is pretty good. Um, but later on, like once people got the shock out of their system, this album would be acclaimed as one of the best in their discography. So it is good it got reviewed better once people grew a pair. <laughs> um it's also worth noting that this is where we start seeing like the Robert Smith look. I was like, that's the only way I could say it. Like the big teased hair, black eyes, smudge red lipstick. But this would not be the climax oh my God. of their career. <laughs> get it? Yes, I get it. <laughs> uh, okay. So I just finally stopped laughing for the last joke. So I'm just gonna <laughs> That one didn't land as well. Right it in. <laughs> so that's the end of that first era of goth rock and now we're moving into a new music era of the cure so going back a little bit the band is on the brink of collapse everybody's doing drugs everybody's mad at each other um there's also like a bunch of member changes up to this point but like i said I don't really want to talk about it. It's a lot of just random. This person left. This person came back. This person left. But the one streamline is Lull. Lull is there. He is hanging out with his best friend, who he met at five years old. Aww. So they have been friends for a long time. Um, but after this tour, rumors start spreading. The Cure is going to break up. And even like Robert was, he was playing with another band. And when they asked him about it, he's like, uh, I don't know. Like, maybe we will, maybe we won't, because he's just not a fan of what they're doing um, musically at that point. So, at this moment, it's just him and Lol. Like, all the other band is just not there anymore. And the record label, because they're the top seller on that record label, they start scrambling. They're like, we got to do something. We got to try something new. So they do. Robert Smith writes pop and he does this for one reason and one reason only to get airplay in the mm -hmm. u.s because i don't know if you know this the u.s has a music problem we are some basic ass bitches who only like one type of song like mm -hmm. it all has to sound the same anyway um although right now i think number one is we don't talk about bruno so that's true <laughs> now that is a bop we have taste sometimes we, <laughs> we have taste um uh but so they go for that and their first stupid pop song, which is Robert's words, not mine, is let's go to bed. Um, it becomes a minor hit. So it does work and it becomes a minor hit in the US, Australia and New Zealand. The music video for this, according to Lull, there's some like silhouette shots of him dancing in the background. Like there's a white cheek kind of there. Apparently he's naked <laughs> and not that I was looking for obvious signs, I just don't know if that's true because I, I see some it's, I see some folds and it's not him. It'd be obvious if he was naked. Yeah. <laughs> like there would be some smooth, smooth spots. Yes. 
I'm just saying, and, and where you expect it to have smooth spots, it is not smooth. So <laughs> I would argue that's not true. But anyway, that's just my opinion. So this is a new period for the band. They're moving in a new direction. Uh, Lowell goes from playing drums to keyboard. That is a new direction. I mean, for the 80s, that kind of is a uh, drum kit. So, yeah. you know, it works. Um, they release a couple songs. This gets put into an album called Japanese Whispers. And then they start getting some new members. And things start looking up for this band. Like, it's kind of a golden era for them. Things are starting to go okay. Um, so they release three albums in this pop era. Another trio, if you will. Mm. A non-oppressed, spirited trio. Yeah. Uh, these albums were The Top, The Head on the Door, and Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. Um, both Head on the Door and Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. went. Pl- um, Head on the Door went gold. Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me went platinum. Um, but while everyone has a cheery disposition, Lowell is dr- drinking, and it's getting really bad. We'll come back to that. So, we're now in 1989. Robert Smith is about to turn 30. Oh. Mm-hmm. And I fears sympathize. start... <laughs> I know. God. I was writing this, and I'm like, me too, Robert. Me too. Um, so fears start a-brewing. He is afraid, like most people are in this special age, that he has not accomplished anything. And for him, he is worrying that his like, great magnum opus will never be created, and his career is going to start slumping. So back... To goth rock we go. <laughs> Round two, baby. Try this again. <laughs> the world is ready. Yeah. And, you know, I know this is not the case. But I. it almost seems like this is a musical Trojan horse sometimes. Like, <laughs> what if they went goth rock, then went pop to bring some pop people in, and then went back to goth rock to suck them in? Like, almost if Dolly Parton went metal <laughs> just to get some, like, gauge tattooed motherfuckers into country. Like, that's how it feels. They're already there. That's how it feels. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> the gauge tattooed motherfuckers they're have arrived there. to Dolly. Um, but anyway, they go in the studio. They're working on the second Pinnacle album, Disintegration. Mm. Also a very proper word. Yeah. So during recording, things are getting tense. The band is fighting again. Now they're mad at Lull for drinking so much. Um, Smith is depressed. He relapsed on drugs. And while um, they record very intently in the studio, outside the studio, things are just not going well. And it comes to a point where Lowell's so drunk he can barely play drums anymore. Um, the rest of the band threatens to leave unless Lowell is just kicked out. And after a screaming match at the mixing of the album, Lowell is fired from the band. Robert Smith said, you know, he's probably going to get married, get strained out. And come back. He would not return for a very long time. But also with this album, going back to with pornography, there's a thread line where he says, This is the end of the band. Uh, <laughs> and it's going to be their last go. It's going to be the last record. Goodbye. Goodbye. But he was wrong. They just keep going, <laughs> they never stop. But now it's in a very, very huge way. So. 1989, the album's released. It placed number three in the UK, number 12 in the US. By 1992, it sells three million copies. Um, They're also number 12 on the 500 greatest albums of all time, which I'm sure we'll get to at some point. The album contains such hits as Love Song, 
lullaby, pictures of you. But don't worry. Like every good punk kid at heart, Robert hates this. Of the course success. he does. He hates it. And according to Robert, quote, despite my best efforts, actually becoming everything I did not want to become, a stadium rock band. <laughs> but he's not a butt rock band. That's true. He's safe. So he's fine. Which is funny because The Clash, remember how we talked about that? Punks hated stadium rock. That makes sense. Hated stadium rock because it started as pub rock, then turned into punk rock. So this tour they're on for this album, they're selling out tons of tickets and filling up 40,000 plus stadiums. By the end of the tour, Robert is really fucking stressed because he never wanted to become this big. (laughs) Never. By this point, the damage is done. They are rock stars. So we're going to cover some flybys of The Cure in the 90s. Um, So they release an album called Wish in 1992, which um, still has goth elements, I would say, but it's definitely going more in an alternative direction. Um, I would say the biggest hit from this is Friday, I'm in Love. That's like the one song I know by them. That's a good song. You don't know Love Song? You probably know Love Song. I probably know it. I just don't. 311 covered it. You remember them? California, Malibu Rock. Right. No. Probably played in Hollister. <laughs> anyway, um, this album will sell 1.2 million copies. And the band from there, they go through their lineup changes. I can't keep up with them. They start releasing some greatest hits and then some soundtrack work, in particular the movie Crow. Um, the Crow, I should say. And X-Files. South Park also got a hold of Robert Smith <laughs> and asked him to be a, a guest on the show and his character in the episode fights, it's Mega Streisand is the name of it, and it's basically a Godzilla-sized Barbra Streisand. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. <laughs> so there's that. That's incredible. Um, as far as for the 2000s, they kind of just follow that legacy artist route, as I would call it. So maybe they drop an album. They drop a greatest hits collection. They play some shows. Repeat. Um, although according to their website, they did a legendary quote, MySpace secret show at the Troubadour. So there's that. What did MySpace have to do with it? Uh, that's literally what the website said. A legendary show, MySpace secret show at the Troubadour. Did you get your invite through MySpace? I need to know. I can't remember. I remember MySpace secret shows being a thing. I feel like you must've had to It probably was on that billboard thing. Follow the band on MySpace or be yeah. friends with them or whatever. Oh God, it's been years. I forget how MySpace works. It's worked. been years, man. Decades, even. You said 92, and I was like, oh, 20 years ago. And then I went, no, that's 30 years ago. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> I got one more year. I got two more months left <laughs> of being 29. God. Anyway, but three events I want to close out our outline with. We're going to start with one in 2011. So the band is in Australia. They're playing a 30-year release of their album, Faith. Lol comes back and plays some shows with them. Big moment for fans. But he's not like back back. He does stay for like, I feel like seven shows. And then in 2013, God, 2013, the band was playing in Mexico. Happened to be Robert's birthday. So what do they do to celebrate? Well, they play 50-song, 257-minute set. Damn. That is four and a half 
hours of music. They got their money's worth. You Dude, got tickets to that show. I'm going to be honest. I want to ask you a serious question. Would you listen to the Struts play four and a half Hell hours? yeah. Nah. My brain is too ADD for that. I would be there for all four. I would have been there <laughs> seven hours early for a four-hour <laughs> show. There's the stark difference between me and you. Because <laughs> me, it's like once we get to the 90-minute the mark, I'm like, all right, that's good. That's enough. That's enough slices. slices. I, it's just I can't. I love music. Don't get me wrong. But I need like a different band to come on the set. No. Um. Anyway, that's not all. Because while they were performing... An eight, I'm sorry, an, a 5.9 magnitude earthquake. Jeez. It's a concert. So even God was like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> if I got to hear love song one more goddamn time. Ugh, they had so many songs to choose from. <laughs> and then third, in 2019, the band is inducted into the Rock and Roll, uh, rock and roll Hall of Fame, where Trent Reznor does the like, inductee beginning speech of that after they are inducted you may have seen this video i may have to pull it up for you after this uh but they go into the media pit and there's this clip where this very upbeat high energy reporter comes up to robert smith is like are you excited like that and robert smith kind of rolls his eyes and he goes probably not as much as you (laughs) but i think there are two lessons that we can take away from the care First off, I believe they single-handedly were responsible for those goth Janko style jeans I that they sold hate a hot those topic. Jeans. You know the black ones, yes. the neon, all the all straps. the chains, the, the pant leg yes. goes over your shoe. I think they're full on responsible for it, even though none of them wore it. But I'm gonna pull my resources together and I'll come back to you. Okay. Uh, so that's one. Number two, I noticed this poll line that I can't help but talk about with this band. Because Robert writes a lot of like nihilistic like subjects and in his mindset, like during this, especially the goth rock era that he's in, um, he always believes it's the end, but it just never comes to pass. And like there's just two times he keeps saying, This is the end of the band. This is the end. And it just keeps going decades later. So I think there's a life lesson in here. You just gotta keep going. Surprise, shorty. <laughs> Surprise, shorty. It's never really over until it's over. Anyway, that's the cure. That's the cure. Thanks for listening. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Good Pods. Special thanks to Death of Fawn for our intro riff. You can visit our website at shiwaraki.com. There you'll find our socials, show notes, you can contact us, and you can buy our merch. And remember, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. 